Greetings, welcome back to Six Foot. I'm so glad to be back finally. I'm so glad to have you back here with me. Um it's been a while. It's been a while. And yeah, it's been a while. Um life is crazy and life is stressful. But also this series is uh a lot of work. <laughs> so I've taken a couple of weeks off because Again, life is crazy and life is stressful, but also because, especially with this episode, but in the series in general, there's a lot of work that goes into it and trying to make sure that these episodes are as good as possible requires a lot of work. And sometimes it requires more work than what can be done in a week. (laughs) So yeah, but we're back finally and I'm ready to finish this series out it's been a long one especially with kind of breaks I take but whatever I'm not gonna talk about it anymore um so yeah and I guess since it's been a while if you are unaware we are still doing <laughs> the pride series um with this podcast and we are on our trans episode today so today is our trans episode it's dedicated to all the trans folks out there. Um, and yeah, I guess without further ado, without trying to ramble on anymore, um, let's get on with the episode. So I do have something to say about this week's um, like queer cinema history segment, I guess. I have a little rant that I need to go on about accessibility to information so if you well you don't know but (laughs) the way that I do research on these episodes is kind of just I essentially do a little bit more than like a general google search you know and most of the times it's not that hard I can search in a word or a phrase or something that can get me in the ballpark what I'm looking for and usually I can find it on the first page of Google right and that's how I've been with all of these episodes so far I thought that our bisexual episode was going to be hard because I did not think that a lot of people had dedicated a lot of their time and effort to bisexual representation but I was actually surprisingly wrong, right? So I did not have much faith in having a lot of information for my bisexual episode. And I was surprised that I did. In this case, I was surprised how little information I got for this episode. Um, I only have like three film history facts. I have more, you know, information to give you than just three. But you know, with all the other episodes, I usually have like five to 10, you know? And so with this one, I'm really disappointed in the lack of information that was out there for me to receive, I guess you could say, you know, I, I do not have time in between each episode to like read a bunch of books. I don't have the Um, access to a bunch of books to really like well verse myself so for you and I this is kind of like 
a basic understanding of how queer cinema history has been, I guess you could say. Um, and so, yeah, I don't have the time or the access to really dive deep into these episodes. That's why a lot of these facts are pretty, they're pretty basic. Um, and that's, you know, that's just, I think that's fine. It's okay. But to understand where I'm coming from, I guess. And so when I do these searches or when I do this research, like I said, I'm doing a few more steps ahead than just like a general Google search. You know, I'm scouring the internet as much as I can, but at the end of the day, I'm relying a lot on what people are putting on the internet. And so what I have to say about that is I think it's really disappointing how little information I found about trans history, but also specifically trans film history. Um, I was able to get tidbits here and there, but a lot of it is just not there, you know? So there's, you know, you could probably find some stuff on like trans history, you know? Um, but where it comes to film history, it was just lacking a lot. And I'm not just complaining for myself. I see that as a broader issue when it comes to other people, just like the general citizen like I am, that is just trying to learn more about, um, I guess in general, but more specifically to queer history, but also, again, specifically to trans um, history. And coming being met with so little you know and I think that that's also really discouraging for not just people that want to learn more about um trans history but to actual trans people that want to understand their history better oh I think that it's really sad how little information there is out there um at least on the internet you know so like when it comes to relying on the internet when it comes to relying on online sources I got a real problem with that. I got a real problem with that. I'll be honest with you. Um, and I just wanted to say that again, because I feel like the problem I ran into highlights a big issue, again, overall in um, with queer history, also how it relates to queer cinema history, but I guess specifically to trans history. Um, and I think when we discuss some of the things in this episode, you see how it is also not just specifically to like online information, if that makes sense. You know, you see how it translates onto screen, but um, this just really showed me a major problem that we still face. I don't know if it's face. But, you know, like a big a big problem that we still have when it comes to accessing information about queer, specifically trans history um, and what that lack of accessibility does to people, what that lack of accessibility um, translates to people that are trying to understand or learn more about history. You know what I'm saying? So I felt the need to say that. I think that that's really important. And I think that um, 
it is one of those like it's not even film related to come across this issue you know like it transcends the message that I put across in these episodes anyways if that makes sense you know like it is an issue that had that has nothing to do with like the context of this episode and so it goes beyond kind of what this episode was seeking out to um showcase or inform um but I think that it's important to talk about because you see how in everyday life these shortcomings happen and you know what that can do to people so but yeah I just want to say that um going on to the little facts that we do have but the facts we do have nonetheless uh, I wanted to talk about some film history facts um the first is the quote-unquote I don't really know because the wording's really strange um possibly the first trans film more specifically the first French trans film um and that is the 1954 film well I guess it's not the first trans film it's the first French trans film yes um because I'm just like realizing some stuff but yeah, it's the 1954 film by Rene Gaveau, and it's called Adam S. Eve. Um, and it's, I guess, particularly interesting or special because it's kind of one of the first films about trans people that ended happily, you know? So I guess we, we got to get across somewhere, even though that's such a sad fact, but yes, um, and that was in 1954. Like I said, I don't think it's the first trans film period because we have another film that we were talking about that happened earlier, but it is considered the first French trans film and one of the first that ended happily. So, but okay. Um, I guess going on with kind of first, we also have, we talked about it in our last episode the Florida Enchantment and how it is like what one of the first films or the first film to date that featured a bisexual character. Um, apparently that film is very notable for having a lot of um, LGBTQ plus themes within the entire movie. Um, I don't know how well it does at actually representing it because one it was 1914 and two, it was kind of, it was like a comedy. Um, so it probably wasn't that great when it comes to representation and not being offensive. But nonetheless, The Florida Enchantment, like I said, the 1914 film by Sidney Drew, um, it featured alongside a lot of lesbian, gay, bisexual characters and themes. It also included a lot of trans themes. Um, that's why I was saying that maybe the 1954 film wasn't the first. I don't know if they would consider this to be the first if it does not explicitly include a trans character, but maybe with the trans themes, it could also be included amongst that list. If that makes sense, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, and then lastly, for our film history facts, um, Christine Jorgensen. I think that's how you pronounce it. 
Um, that is the name of the quote-unquote first, well, no, it's not. Christine Jorgensen is the first American person to um, get a sex reassignment surgery. I don't know if I worded that well. I feel like I worded that terribly. I'm sorry. But yeah, so she was the first um, like notable trans person in the fact that she was the first American to kind of formally get um, the sex change surgery. You know what I'm saying? You following along? And that happened in 1952, around that time. Um, but what's, I guess, interesting to note is she did not get it. She did not get the surgery done in America. She traveled outside of the country. I think she went to like Sweden or Switzerland or something like that. Like she went to one of those places. <laughs> um, because I guess I mentioned that because even though she's like well known or recognized within like the American society history slash stuff like that, I guess. Um, I think her traveling outside of the country, mostly because it's not really something that was really done, um, also speaks a lot to, again, American society at the time. And 1952, or let's say like early 1950s, let's remember that. Let's remember that um, that date, okay? Because it comes back later and um, implications of that event in and of itself plays a big role into trans representation going forward, right? Right, okay. So moving on <laughs> to our coding and stereotypes. Um, trans representation, I tell you what, so a lot of coding or a lot of stereotypes um, fall into kind of like two main categories and it's either the victim or the villain. And so you could probably put a lot of these in one of these categories. Um, the victim, again, it's a lot of the tropes where it's just unhappy endings, um, violence against trans people and oftentimes an ending ending in death um so more so just kind of like trans characters or seeing trans people as some sort of unfortunate soul where a lot of um negative things happen to them not necessarily that they are doing negative things obviously because they're the victim you know but so it's kind of like when things, when negative things or hurtful, harmful, painful things happen towards a trans person, they are kind of seen as the victim. Um, yeah, and that shows up a lot, especially, especially, I guess more in generally, and I guess more um, in general, it happens to a lot of queer characters in their codings. Like if you go back and you, again, if you, try and fit a lot of the coding and stereotypes or tropes that we've talked about throughout this series, you'll see that a lot of them fall within the victim or villain um, case or dichotomy. And 
a lot of times with, I guess, especially with endings um, for a lot of these queer characters, it does usually end sad or with violence or like I said, with death. Um, but I guess this is particularly true with a lot of trans characters and trans representation. And then the villain, it again, it goes back to the kind of like intercommunal trope of the homicidal homosexual that we've talked about again in our previous episodes. Um, so again, the idea that trans characters are villains, they are murderers, killers, whatnot, what have you. Um, and this is seen in a lot of films as well. Um, you see it, I guess, in Psycho, you see it in Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde, Sleepaway Camp, but I guess most notably in Silence of the Lambs um, with what, Buffalo Bill. And these narratives show, or they're meant to kind of show and perpetuate the idea that gender non-conforming um, people or trans people are seen as frightening and unnatural. You know, that something within them is not normal and that's, and they're like, their identity causes them to um, hurt or harm other people, you know? Or also it's used as something to deceive people, which I guess we can talk about later, but I guess more so in the context of being like villainous and like homicidal. Um, the idea of dressing up as the opposite gender or dressing up as a different gender um, to inflict harm on people, again, it perpetuates that not only is gender non-conforming frightening and unnatural, but that like trans people are sort of disguising themselves as something else in order to harm people, if that makes sense. Um, so that's, again, those are really the main two. A lot of different tropes and stereotypes fall into those categories. Um, the second one, which is kind of also like a twofold, is not necessarily, well, I guess you can see it as a stereotype, but more so as like a trope. Um, of trans characters, especially trans femmes, being sex workers or slash sensational freaks. Um, and this is again the idea that a lot of trans characters, especially like trans women or um, trans femme characters, are often placed as sex workers whenever it comes to some sort of job or occupation or how they spend their free time they're usually casted as some sort of sex worker as like a prostitute and in this case it's again to well to kind of not justify but to understand why this is a thing or why it is still prevalent in um, the community it often comes down to lack of protection especially within the workplace or like discrimination so the idea that, um, or I guess more so the reality that a lot of trans people are still discriminated against because they are trans, 
they're not offered the same opportunities or they're not offered um, special protection because, you know, of their gender identity. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of, I guess, where you could, again, not justify, but you're like, okay, but this is why this still might be a prevalent occupation within the communities because it's kind of like no other jobs are willing to protect them or give them opportunities. So they have to seek it elsewhere. Um, but I guess more so in this case, when it comes to representation, again, it just kind of perpetuates the idea that um, that's kind of like their only line of work. I think it also does harm to trans people because it, I think it gives the perception, like it automatically gives them a negative perception because a lot of people, a lot of people, if they just kind of listen to what the government tells them, um, are going to assume that like prostitution or sex work in general is just inherently immoral, you know, that that is not, um, a justifiable, um, acceptable or respectable job. That's something that criminals do, you know, in the same line of like robbing people or establishments or looting or rioting, you know, they see it as some sort of like immoral act. And so a lot of people, if they are constantly seeing trans people as prostitutes, um, especially with the way that sex work in general is seen or portrayed um at least in american society since it is inherently negative in our society seeing it as that they're going to obviously equate the two and then they're going to think that like not only do all trans people um participate in you know illegal sex work but they're also going to um i guess always assume it and they're going, it's going to become the stereotype that it is where it's like, oh, well, you know, all trans people, they, they do that. Um, but it's also going to create this association with trans people to um, immorality on a more general scale, you know? So that is also a big trope. And then the sensational freaks, it is essentially, again, the idea that like trans people are a spectacle trans people are more so an object for some sort of gaze. Um, the same way that we spoke about in our last episode when it comes to bisexual people and the way that bisexuality, especially when it is um, between two women, are seen or are objects for the male gaze. It does not necessarily have to be for the male gaze in this aspect, but it is for some sort of, I guess, a spectrum for the... Um, cis gaze maybe you could say um or like heteronormative gaze I don't know one of those two or both um probably both but yeah so they're seen as a spectacle and like I said with um the date 1952 a film called Glenn or Glenda that came out the year after that 1953 it includes a like sensational sex change. Um, and that 
change in and of itself was, I guess, used or it was implemented in the film um, to appease distributors. And distributors essentially wanted it, again, to be sensational. They wanted it to be sensationalized. They wanted it to be a spectacle. Um, but they also wanted to shock audiences with what was going on. And so again, like this idea that trans people are not only spectacles, objects for the cis heteronormative gaze, um, but they are also shocking um, is, you know, again, a very prevalent trope or stereotype. And again, you see, especially as you go along with this series, how this idea of um, queerness, I guess, in general, being an object to shock audiences is shown throughout each community and how it's kind of used in different ways or manipulated in different ways so that their identity and their sexuality is shocking you know so that is one and then I guess the last one that we're talking about is the I guess stereotype of trans people especially trans women slash trans femme characters or people in general um being quote-unquote men in disguise and this i feel like is very layered so it especially comes when um we see cis men playing trans women you know and i think I mean, I don't know. I, I guess I can't speak for those people, but maybe you would assume that maybe you would assume that the decision to play these characters, because a lot of the times it. The situations in which a cis man is playing a trans woman is because. The storyline or the plot of whatever story, movie, TV show is trying to show the the sequence of events of a transition where they start off as um, a cis man and then they come to terms with their gender identity. They realize that they are trans and then they start to transition into, um, I guess, whoever person they feel like or whoever person that they are, um, whether or not that is actually a trans woman. Um, and I guess I mean like trans woman as in like, going through all of the cosmetic and um, sex changes to become a female. Hopefully that was worded correctly. I apologize if it's not. But you know what I'm saying? So a lot of times it's the having a cis person or having a cis man play a trans woman is kind of used to show the sequence of events of a transition. But as much as I think Oregon would maybe assume that that action is of good intentions, it actually does a lot of harm to people's perceptions of trans people, especially trans women, and also the consequences of those now perceptions of trans women. Um, so again, a lot of times this action, it, it doesn't really do much to 
highlight or represent um, or favor the trans experience, a lot of times it ends up perpetuating the idea that trans women are men playing dress up, you know, that they are just men that want to put on makeup, you know, put on wigs, dresses, what have you. Um, and like I said, that goes further into playing or that goes further into perpetuating a lot of violence against trans people, especially violence against trans women. Um, and especially during the night between the 1960s and the 1990s, um, the list or the amount of trans murders was very high it, and was very persistent. So it was very steadily high and rising throughout that kind of like 30 year time. Um, more so again, dealing with a lot of the films that came out. Like I said, a lot of the homicidal homosexual slash trans person or trans people um, films, they came out heavily during like the 1960s, 70s, um, and stuff like that. So those are all that I have for coding and stereotypes. And then we're going to quickly talk about some facts and tidbits. Um, our first fact is Max Sweeney was the first ever reoccurring trans character on a TV show. Um, I think that that was in the L word. Hopefully. I forgot to write it down. So I think that was in the L word. And like I said, um, I think in our lesbian episode, I think we talked a bit briefly about the complicated relationship that, you know, his character had with the show and how it represented trans masculine characters, um, but also trans people in general, how they treated him on the show and in the, in which or in the context in which like his life or his character went down. Um, and then second, which I feel like, I mean, maybe I feel like a lot of people that probably do not watch or immerse themselves in queer cinema or queer culture, history, knowledge in general may not know this, but I feel like if you kind of have any sort of basic understanding, um, or knowledge on like, again, queer cinema, queer culture, stuff like that, you'll probably already know this. But nonetheless, um, the film The Matrix, a cult staple, I guess a staple in general for a lot of people, is actually an allegorical film about transness and the trans experience. Um, the two sisters, I think they were, um, or at least at the time that directed this film, both actually came out as trans and actually confirmed. So like, this isn't just a speculation or this isn't just, you know, people, scholars, queer coding the matrix. Like this is actually factual. <laughs> they actually came out and said that the matrix is an allegorical film about trans, um, transness and the trans experience. So that is very interesting. I have not watched The Matrix, which might be like, ooh, crazy, unpopular opinion, I guess. But yeah, and to be honest, I don't have any 
desire to. So, yeah. Sorry, but that is just the facts. Um, but yeah, interesting nonetheless. So I feel like even though, well, maybe because I went on that whole rant, but even though the facts were short, I feel like we did spend a lot of time on this, um, but that's okay. And so I wanted to go on to the content of this episode. So we have a couple of films that I want to talk about. Um, and I'll try and be pretty concise as well, I guess. But yeah, the first film, <laughs> the first film I think I want to talk about is the film Tomboy. It came out, uh, it came out like early 2010, like maybe 2011, 12, 13 era. Um, but it is by our good sis, Celine Siyama, who also did Portrait of a Lady on Fire. She makes a lot of, you know, excellent queer films. So who, who am I? Who am I to have her on here twice? Okay. But, um, again, what is so great about Tomboy, which I guess is everything that's so great about, um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, but I also think that it's interesting with the way that it explores um, gender identity, but also trans identity. Um, it is also our our staple like queer youth film. Um, it is about a family that moves and their daughter, I forget what her name is. She like once they move, um, their daughter, um, like already has like really short hair, but I guess like is mistaken for a boy and then kind of sort of, um, I don't know how to describe it. Like continues on the narrative that they're a boy and goes by the name like Michael. Um, and then kind of, yeah. I, 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 I'm sorry. <laughs> the way that I tried to describe that plot was horrendous. I apologize. That was truly bad. Um, but like you see, you see how at home, um, Michael is addressed as whatever, um, his, name and identity was before they moved you know what I'm saying and so then here I mean again like I said at home he's addressed differently but outside he likes to or he portrays himself or continues on as Michael um I think that's his name as well I'm sorry uh, <laughs> but yeah and I guess what's interesting is like one, there's also like really little to no explanation as to kind of what's going on. You really do follow it in like real time from like his perspective. Um, but when when people find out that he is not actually a boy, um, you know, I think they're like, you know, 
why like why are you doing this like what is going on it's kind of like i don't know like you know this is how i feel you know and i think that this again interesting because i feel like a lot of times a lot of times people feel the need to really kind of like oversimplify um maybe like the more internalized perspective or the more like the very intimate internal feelings of like a trans person as they're like transitioning or trying to understand the trans experience but through very binary but also very like extremely simple understandings and I just don't think that like I guess overall but especially like sexuality and gender identity is necessarily that simple you know especially with how we as a world slash a society has created a lot of these complex understandings or associations or um assumptions slash coding for gender and sexuality you know the same way where it's like one could easily say like you know the same thing about like race but where it's like you know race doesn't exist objectively race does not exist and you're like yeah but we now live in a society where it does and there are a lot of factors that go into identifying it and associating it with stuff and implications discrimination stuff like that like you know race has now been such race is now such a complicated um subject or like you know race as a whole concept is now extremely complicated complex and layered to where you can't like just simplify with some sort of like analogy or by saying this and then that that and then this or one plus one equals two you know like it now implies so many things it now includes so many different things and I think that's the same way with sexuality and again gender identity and so to not only like not try and simplify it but to also not necessarily mention it or try and understand the mind of Michael I don't think it's necessarily bad I think it also does a really good job of kind of understanding like you take his experience at face value but you understand that like it's not it's beyond me you know um to where I feel like that also again it creates a more accepting environment or accepting space for him because you're kind of like you know this is if it's if it's not something I understand it's also not something that is necessarily my business and I just need to ex I need to accept whatever he wants from me or what um ever he's putting forward because ultimately that's who he is that's the person that he he is this is the person that he's become um and the easiest thing I can do to understand this is to like accept him you know if that makes sense um so yeah and again I think it also plays into the queer youth part where you know regardless of 
I guess how he sees himself. Um, he is a child and to expect a child to have all the answers to what they're feeling and how they see themselves, um, I think is impossible. <laughs> and not, not to say that because like, I'm trying to undermine the intelligence of, you know, children to understand themselves or to explain complex things. But again, it's like, I don't think we necessarily need to force this child to explain to us what their transness means, you know, and what their identity means to them and how it differs from the identity they've grown up with or the identity we've placed on them, you know? And so I think what's particularly interesting or what I like about what this film has to say um, about the queer youth experience um, and specifically the trans youth experience and transness um, as it comes as it relates to children is again not like we don't have to slash should expect them to have all the answers when it comes to their own identity um, because they are children um, I don't think that necessarily means that we should invalidate their identity or their understanding of their identity or how they see themselves. Um, but again, to give them the time and the space to figure it out on their own. And like I said, the easiest thing you can do is to literally accept them um, and let them now be the driver of their own reality if that makes sense you know like let them be behind the wheel of their own reality and their own experience um and their own identity um and again like I said I think that that's good to talk about especially when it comes to youth or children because it affects how how we relate to children especially um how we but I guess especially parents of trans kids see and understand their child and have a relationship with their child um so yeah um and then I think it's interesting because it highlights the trans masculine experience this relates I guess more to maybe the next film that we'll talk about um which is the documentary that came out this year I think of Disclosure I've seen a lot of people have a lot of thoughts about Disclosure. Some people obviously like it and are praising it. Some people have faults with the um, angle it tries to present its information or the angle in which it talks about the trans experience on film. Um, but I think nonetheless, there are a lot of interesting facts that you can get from it and a lot of perspective you can get from it, um, especially from trans people themselves, you know? And so... Something that they talk about as it relates again back to Tomboy is how a lot of trans representation is um, specifically on like trans women um, and how, like I said, the trans experience, it is not limited to just trans women. Um, and I think again, more so to like trans women. I keep emphasizing that, you know, like I think even trans femmes um, or, you know, people more on the line of like um, 
non-binary that may still present themselves in a feminine way, if that makes sense. Um, I think a lot of narrative is is put on them, a lot of spotlight is put on them, but there's not a lot of media representation or spotlight on trans masculine people um, and characters. And I like this film, again, Tomboy, because it is one of those films that does focus on a trans masculine character. Um, yeah, like in general. <laughs> and so I think that that's really interesting um, and also important to talk about when it comes to this film, but also when it comes to films that pertain or talk about or represent the trans experience. There is very little about trans men or trans masculine people. Um, and that's why I really like Tomboy because it's kind of one of those few films that does focus on a trans masculine character. Um, and then I guess since we're on the topic of disclosure, it, like I said, with our facts and tidbits, the whole idea of, or the, the trope or stereotype that trans women are men in disguise um, they talked about that. That was probably one of the most standout facts or concepts that they discussed that I really, like it really stood out to me, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, the idea that like cis men playing these trans women, um, actually does a lot more harm than I think people think it does or people um expect it to do and so they talked about like the film the danish girl and like you know it, it was highly acclaimed what have you and they show a clip of the guy that plays um the main character in the film at the award shows and he is himself he is in a suit and tie he is clean cut but he's you know very I guess more obviously masculine um, and is the cis man that he is, you know? And it's like, they were like, you know, when you have these cis men playing these trans women, again, it perpetuates the idea that trans women are men in disguise, that they're men playing dress up, but it also plays a huge part into the violence inflicted upon trans women um, because it perpetuates this association that, you know, these trans women, they're not actual women. They're, they're literally cis men. Like they're not even like, like I said, trans women, they're literally cis men dressed up as women. Um, and you know, it, it, yeah, like it, it just perpetuates this idea and they're like, you know, once you have trans women playing trans women that are still trans women outside of it, you see them living their lives, living lavishly, living, you know, in their true selves, but being happy. Then you start to associate, like there is no, there is no association that needs to be had. You literally just start seeing these characters as these people and then you start seeing trans women as actual trans women that they are um you know because it's like when you're like with Laverne Cox you're like you know in her character 
I guess, again, that it, it says right there, her character. Whereas, <laughs> I felt so pretentious saying that. But, you know, it's like her character. When you're speaking outside of the context of the film, we'll say that. Um, you are still... Like, you're respecting the identity of both the character and the actor slash actress playing that character. Um, which then in of itself, you are respecting the identity of, like, all trans people. You know, whereas with, um, I don't know his name. Again, like, Eddie Redmayne or whatever it is. Um, when you're speaking outside of the context of the film, you're like, okay, well, his character or she but played by him so then again it creates this like it, it just confuses the understanding of like transness and like trans women um as women and i think for a lot of people especially people that are like inherently or just transphobic it perpetuates the idea of just violence against trans women, you know, or it kind of plays into the violence against trans women um, because of how it kind of forces you to perceive trans women both in and outside of the context of the film, if that makes sense, you know? Um, they explained it a lot better in the documentary. Um, so I think it's important that you watch that, especially just to get a better understanding of like trans film history because. Like I said earlier, you really don't get much information from the actual internet. Um, in this case, well, I'm not going to say in this case only. But, you know, in this case, it is particularly better to watch this sort of documentary or to watch films and documentaries um, that can give you facts better than what you will find on the internet. Because the information is just so low so yeah I guess that's really all I have to say about oh well no I don't <laughs> the other thing that um I want to mention about disclosure um is as always like I said in the first episode of this series you know it is important to talk about the importance of representation and the importance of having a series like this but also watching um, investing yourself and immersing yourself in queer knowledge, but also like queer cinema. Um, because again, knowing this information is very important, not only in general, but again, to better understand yourself better understand the people around you, better understand society and various concepts and ideas that we talk about. Um, but disclosure, especially for a documentary, um, really emphasizes that importance of focusing on trans people history culture um and information like that and so it is important because it is important it is also important because it emphasizes the importance you know what i'm saying um so yeah that's all i have for really those two. Oh no i don't oh, i'm all over the place i'm sorry um Going back to Tomboy, <laughs> I do want to talk about this kind of idea of like gender exploration versus lying. Um, because I think something that happens in the film is 
you know, when people find out about Michael um, and the fact that he is, I guess at this point, um, a, you know, trans boy or a trans masculine character, um, they, they berate him, they harass him, but they also accuse him of lying. So that's something that happens a lot. He is kind of forced to apologize to his peers, um, his other friends for lying about who he is. And I think, you know, one, I think that that kind of, it just, the idea that like what, what they are doing in the context of the film of saying that, you know, he's lying, I think on a broader scale, it again perpetuates the idea that like trans people are lying trans people are someone in disguise they are playing as somebody else um but also that again transness is bad and it's obviously not um but I guess in this case it's like not that you would be like is this gender exploration or is this lying but I think it's interesting how um, his, I guess, way of exploring his identity or coming to terms with his identity and his transness is automatically seen as lying. You know, they don't stop to question, like, maybe he's a trans kid, you know, or they don't stop to try and understand his perspective. They automatically think that he is lying for some sort of gain. Um, and I think that that, again, is something that happens a lot in films that negatively represent trans people but I think this is also a big assumption um that cis heteronormative people have about trans people as well so yeah um going on to our next film we're gonna be talking about boys don't cry this film is a lot um and also, I guess in disclosure, um, I forget who exactly, but somebody was talking about how that was one of their first um, moments of, I guess, exposure of a trans man and like the trans masculine experience on screen. Um, and they kind of go back and forth with themselves about like loving it or liking it or appreciating it because it was one of their first moments of seeing kind of like themselves on screen um but also like hating it or resenting it because of you could I guess you could say how like negatively it represents them or how it ends so horribly for them you know how it kind of says to them like this is this is the only ending that you will get you know this is how your life will end up being you know and so it's kind of like well you know this is the first time I can see myself and I can relate to myself on screen but this ends so horrifically like you know what does that say about me what does that say about what my life will be you know but um yeah what I think is also interesting I have not seen anybody talk about this specifically. I would like to know more about what people see regarding um, kind of like the opposite of 
cis men playing trans women. In this case, a cis woman is playing a trans man. Um, you know, I think, again, like a lot of heart can go into these films, but their actions could have harmful implications. So that's why I'm wondering, like, even with the heart that I feel like, you know, the film gives or spotlights um its main character Brandon I think is his name um what does it actually mean that they have a cis woman playing a trans man what does that like what is how does that relate to the audience what perception does that bring forth for the audience is it the exact same of like trans women are men in disguise trans men are women in disguise um, or what because I also know that even when it comes to trans people um, misogyny and the patriarchy still persist you know so it's like where where are they more favorable towards um, and what do like I guess the overall perception, but also, I guess, the perception of cis heteronormative people have for trans people um, in seeing this story and in seeing the kind of roles being flip-flopped, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I think that that's interesting. I would like to know more about that. Um, it's also based on a true story. Um, let me find the documentary. There is a documentary out there. I feel like maybe I saw it, but I can't remember. I think I did, but it's been so long since I've seen it. I, I don't remember much about it. Um, the Brandon Tina story. That is the documentary that talks about what this movie is about. Um, and to have it be based on a true story, I think it's interesting. I think, you know, like for somebody watching it, you it's one of those things where like you you feel even uh I don't want to say you feel even worse because I feel like that sounds bad um but you know like it, it it puts things into perspective that this is again a true story because for a lot of people um their proximity or their relationship with trans people in general is non-existent you know not a lot of people know or have close relationships with a trans person and so again I think by that alone it's hard for a lot of cis people to understand and empathize with a trans person or the trans experience um, just because again you you're able to understand and empathize with people more with closer proximity that's just kind of the facts you know and even though maybe this is such a terrible, sad story, the fact that it is a true story at the end of the day, or it is based off a true story, um, whether or not we necessarily think it is a good or bad thing overall, I think it does bring a lot of people, um, especially cis people, closer to understanding the trans experience, especially what is constantly at stake for trans people um, and the difficulties that they go through 
in trying to come to terms with themselves and their identities, but also in the way that they, um, they present themselves to the world, you know, because you, you, you see also in this film how a lot of the things that Brandon does um, to present as a cis man, you know, is not necessarily for just his pure satis well, uh, satisfaction, maybe, I don't know. But like, you know, it's not, it's not just for like himself. Um, you see also how it is to try and maintain or to keep his safety you know and to keep his life um and again I think when you put it into perspective and you're like oh my gosh like this is a this is based off a true story and especially when you watch the documentary you you just understand more um and I think in the process it does bring you closer to understanding and empathizing with trans people you know it shouldn't be the case but like I said, I know that that is the case because that's just kind of how life is. That's how human interaction and how it relates to proximity and empathy works, you know, whether or not we like it or not. Um, and I, I don't necessarily, like I said, I don't, I don't know if, I guess I wouldn't necessarily say that it's much of a positive or negative thing, um, but I know that maybe the fact that it is a true story nonetheless um helps with the perception if that makes sense you know um and then this one especially it shows it's the only one i guess that will it's the only one that that shows and like explicitly graphically shows um trans violence and trans death um, and it is really the only one that ends in trans violence slash death. Um, and I think I, would, I think that that's interesting to note because, again, it's it. I think the main thing here is like, especially with queer cinema, is like, what do these actions portray? What do these actions say to the audience? What is the perception that the audience gets from these images? You know, because that's kind of what's most important here. Um, you can have whatever story you want and include whatever story you want, but since we are dealing with marginalized, discriminated, um, communities, it's really important to understand and focus on what these images do for the community or to the community or to the communities, um, that are oppressing them, you know? And so I think you have to have the same conversation with this where it showcases trans death. Um, like I said, it may be something that for some people, it really draws them in, really makes them empathize with the character, really makes them sad for the character and maybe also realize um, the, like, the amount of harm and violence that trans people face on a daily basis and kind of like how easily situations can turn violent how you know one person can inflict so much harm on someone or an entire community and stuff like that but I also think that maybe it's interesting to note the other side of the story where it's like well what is 
what does this very sensationalized graphic violent death um do for you know the people that are watching that are still transphobic people that are watching that are you know homophobic people that you know are still like actively um and explicitly oppressing my community what does that say to them does that make them empathize with me more because they are seeing this person that they have now grown close to on screen being murdered violently or you know is the sensationalized aspect of of it being so graphic somewhat satisfying you know because again like violence violence can be something that makes you feel sad for somebody or makes you empathize with somebody but violence especially when it is again graphic and sensationalized can be somewhat of a rewarding experience for somebody you know seeing somebody being hurt in some way whatever context it is can make somebody feel like oh they got them you know or they got what they they wanted and again in this case for transphobic people you know is this image perpetuating violence because is this image some sort of spectacle for them to indulge in you know i think that that's interesting to have um and it brings up an interesting conversation overall um that's kind of all that i have for that one um moving on to paris is burning I feel like I have to mention this. Um, I feel like it is like one of the, I think like I would, I, like I said, I think water, well, I don't know. Did I? I don't know. <laughs> I think maybe, possibly. I said that like Watermelon Woman is like one of those like queer cinema classics that I feel like everybody should watch. Um, I feel like Paris is Burning is one of those as well because again, what it showcases is so unique um, and the community it focuses on, I think is very special and important to conversations about queer cinema, but also about the trans community um, in particular. But I think what the film, again, outside of the context of the film, what it represents, what it what the consequences of that film has to do for the community at large is important to talk about. Um, so I guess going with that, going straight into it, I want to talk about the exploitation of queer people, of trans people, but especially of black queer slash trans people. Um, if you do not know, Paris is Burning is a documentary. I think it was filmed by a white woman, a white cis woman, about the ballroom scene, ballroom culture of the, what, 19... 80s slash 90s um especially like particularly in New York and the woman she you know made this documentary it became very critically acclaimed it was very revolutionary um it garnered in um a good amount of money or revenue back and you learn or you come to find out um that Hardly any, if none, of the money that the film made or the money that it took to make the film um, was given to the people that the film was about. You know, so there are a lot of um, people in the film that the 
that the documentary focuses on and they come forward saying, you know, like, I never got that money. I never got any money. I'm in the exact position that I was when they were shooting the film. Like, I am poor. I'm impoverished. Um, I am being forced to do this. I'm being forced to do that. Um, this is my life circumstances now. And it has not changed, even though this film has become such a worldwide success, you know? And it it goes to the idea or the concept of kind of like, you know, you're raising awareness of this, but you're not actually like, what did this documentary do for them? You know, for a lot of people, it, it did nothing. So you're getting all of the notoriety, you're getting all of the money, all the fame. And these people who are the, the true treasures of this film, because this is what the film is about, they're left with dust. You know, they're left with nothing. Um, and it also kind of shows the exploitative nature of maybe somebody outside of the community trying to showcase the community, because even though she can say like, you know, I was, I wanted to showcase the beautiful, vibrant life of the ballroom scene. Um, it's like, yeah, but you having no genuine connection or relation to this community you know, I think it automatically sets us off on a wrong foot because you're you're now not thinking for the community. You're thinking at the end of the day for yourself, you know, and you you don't even have that connection, that understanding of how things work within our own community to understand what needs to be done for us. Um, you are just kind of watching, you know, you're just giving a bird's eye view. And now everybody knows who we are. And for some people, that's not good either. For some people that um, it, it, it impacted or it, it um, like it was the source of their downfall. It was the source of their unhappy ending or, or their death. Um, and so it's like this notoriety and fame that you have or that you've given us hasn't really done anything in a physical sense because we are still, you know, worse off or at the same place that we are um, while this film is still being talked about years and years and years, you know? Like, we can talk about Paris is Burning all that we want, but we have no idea who the actual people in this film are doing now, you know? And a lot of them are not alive to this day because they were impacted by um, violence against trans people, you know? And that's like how much of the film played a part into inflicting that violence. Um, and then also it talks about, like, again, it the whole film is about ballroom culture. Um, I think that that was also important because I don't want to say it's one of the only documentaries that talk about ballroom scene, but it's, uh, I think, obviously one of the first. And... Again, as it relates to documenting film history, I think it is especially important that it documents this part of, um, or as it documents trans history. I think it's important that this documents this part of trans history because, like I said, you, you, you probably know more about it now, but maybe without this film, you would not have. And so I think what it 
um, showcases is also important as well. And then I guess lastly, um, the film, yeah, it's kind of like really the only one, but the film, I think what you get from the film itself is the importance of a safe space. You see a safe space and you see how it operates and what it means to people. Um, I guess similar in the way that Shakedown did in our lesbian episode. It's like, this is a space created by us for us um, where we are able to express ourselves to our full capacity. We can feel safe. We can feel honored and appreciated here. And what does it mean to have those safe spaces? You know, how important is it to have those places where you you do not, like you can shed all the armor that you walk around with every day because you're afraid for your life. You know, in this place, I do not feel like I am going to be harassed. I do not feel like I'm going to be hurt or murdered. Um, in this space, I can see people that are like me, understand myself better, understand my experience as a trans person, but ultimately I can feel safe. And, you know, I think it again highlights um, the importance of a safe space. So, yeah, that's all I have for Paris is Burning. I'm trying to get through this kind of quickly because I can feel myself dragging on. Um, but the last one that I wanted to talk about is, briefly, is Tangerine. Because this is, unlike any of these other films, um, this is a film that is not explicitly slash only about like the trans experience as it relates to um like introspectively understanding identity I guess you could say so with Tangerine it is about a trans woman um slash kind of also her friend who is also trans they are sex workers so that trope is I guess still perpetuated um but I don't not that I don't think it perpetuates harmful stereotypes but it is not used or seen I think in a way that kind of hurts the integrity of the characters um like I said you can say whatever you want to how it like outside of the context of the film how it portrays like what the image of these trans women still being sex workers does to um perceptions of trans people and um like the perception of trans people and the trans experience I guess outside of it but within the context of the film I think it still it doesn't focus on it in that much of a negative way if that makes sense um but yeah but in regards to like the trans experience and the trans identity so what I mean by that is it's not, it's not about her being a trans woman. Like it is not about um, the main character or even her friend. Like it is not about, oh, this is what I do as a trans woman to express my identity. Or this is, it's not about like, here's me trying to understand my trans this um or try and understand or you know come to terms with my identity it's like they are who they are they are trans as much as they are like black and it, it kind of works in that way where it's like this is like 
it is the thing it is present you can understand it you know it it is in the context of the film but that's not what this film is explicitly about um it is about a trans woman it's about a black trans woman it's about black trans women um but those are not the only two focuses of the film if that makes sense and i think that that's good because it's one of those films where it's one of those films where again it's like not that we don't always have to keep addressing it but you know we can have films of our experience like our lives are not completely revolving around understanding ourselves and our identity and like the experience of being a trans person you know is the same as like being a black person like I don't have to constantly say to everybody um that I am a black person or constantly talk about themes of blackness or black people you know and stuff like that um and again this is like a film where it is not the focal point and I think that that's important because again it, it just it adds to it 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 adds to the narrative that like hey this doesn't have to be something that is constantly brought up it doesn't have to be something that is constantly focused on this doesn't have to like everyone's attention doesn't always have to be on this this can just be who I am and this is just who I am and it continues to showcase that you know transness like blackness or any sort of race or sexual orientation it doesn't have to be the cornerstone of your identity you know it is a part of your identity it is who you are but it is not all that you are and it's not all that your life is um and I think it's important to talk about and to have a film like that um because it, it just it feeds into the normalization and humanization of people of all categories sexuality gender identity race everything like that um oh that's all i was talking about <laughs> i thought i had another point but i already talked about it um so yeah that's all i have for this episode um here are some i guess sick flicks or other films related to um trans films that i think are also important or i think you could also watch so like if you've seen all of these or if you just want more to watch um i have three other ones the first one is fantastic woman um i have no idea what this is on oh oh talk about what things are on <laughs> um disclosures on netflix paris is burning i think is still on netflix i'm not sure tangerine is on hulu um tomboy i think it is still on the criterion channel and boys don't cry honestly i have no idea i think it might be i don't know maybe it's on like some sort of cable if you have cable or like you know some sort of streaming platform i am not quite sure what it is on i'm sorry but it is a good film nonetheless you know um and so yeah with our other films going back to our other films um fantastic woman i think I also don't know what it's on. I think like maybe it's on like Hulu or Prime if it's not on like some sort of cable network. Um, we have Orlando. I think that's on Criterion Channel. I think it is. Or Prime. 
Doing such a bad job remember what these are on. Um, and then All About My Mother is the last one. So Fantastic Woman, Orlando, and All About My Mother. Honestly and truly, I have no idea what they're on. But if you look, you might find it. So, um, you know, go ahead and look. And our next episode will be our last episode in this series. Um, I'm excited to finish out the series. It's been a long one, but it's been very interesting and fun nonetheless. I've enjoyed my experience thus far. I'm not going to talk and ramble about it because this is not the end. Um, so, yeah, what do I have to say? If you are watching this, um, subscribe. Also like this video, comment if there's anything interesting or anything that you want to say. Thoughts, comments, suggestions, suggestions, or concerns. Um, we also have an Instagram. If you want to follow us on Instagram for this podcast, it is at sigflick.pod. Um, we do post when we have new episodes slash some extra sort of content or tidbits whenever we feel like it. Um, and besides that, I think that's it. If you're listening to this, subscribe, stream, like, whatever you do on whatever platform you are listening on and whatever you do with podcasts. Um, but you know, just stay informed, I guess. And I will see you next week. So peace out, Girl Scout.